Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom. By the way, we are broadcasting live from the Slow Burn Cigar Lounge down in Parker Road. We'll give you more information about that in just a minute. We'll be here for the whole show. So if you're in the area, um, real quick, I'm, I'm going to introduce some minute about Lyle. Are you guys open right now if somebody comes we in? We are. We no, normally you open morning. at 11, but Correct. we're open. So if you want to come down and see me, come on and stop by. We're going to be here for the show. Um, the talk, speaking of the show, coming up in our later on this hour, in fact, after this segment, Ed Gorman, who is um, he's the small game coordinator for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, he joins us every year before pheasant and quail start to go over um, what the outlook is for this year. And he's got a great report for us. He said, remember to talk a lot about quail. He is incredible incredibly excited uh, ed said this may be the best quail season we've ever had in colorado so we'll be we'll be covering that in just a few minutes uh, i do want to make a, a note that lefty cray famous fly fisherman is really having some health issues with his heart and i know a lot of you folks have seen him in personal appearances i get to see lefty at least once a year as we attend some events together uh, he's going to have to stay home his health has really gotten bad his heart is not doing well he's 92 years old um, but he wanted that message out. I will post a message from Lefty Cray on my uh, Facebook page so that you can uh, you can catch up with what's going on with probably one of the best and most famous fly fishermen that ever lived, Lefty Cray. We're going to cover a lot of fishing today. In addition to the um, in, in addition to the hunting, we're going to cover. We're going to there's a walleye bite going on at Boyd Lake. We're going to talk about. Uh, we just got a lot to cover today. Uh, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us in the second hour. We're going to cover some new baits that are just getting into the stores. We'll be talking about that. So we have a lot to cover. But once again, we're broadcasting live from the uh, Slow Burn Cigar Lounge here in Parker. And one of the owners, Lyle Tate, is sitting next to me. First of all, Lyle, you're probably familiar with Lefty Cray being an avid fly fisherman. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, what a great – have you ever had the chance to meet him? I have not. He is just a tremendous gentleman. He'll give you – he'll make you – he would sit down and talk with you right now like you were his brother, and you'd known him for years. And he's one of the true gentlemen and true, true pioneers of where fly fishing is today. I, I watched – I got a – as a fly fisherman, you'll appreciate this um, – I watched Lefty, um guy was complaining about his fly rod, and he couldn't get the line out right. He said the action wasn't right. So Lefty took the line without a rod, just using his arm, and put the entire fly line in the air, <laughs> just using his arm. And he said, it looks to me like you don't even need a rod, he goes to the guy. It's always the rod's fault. In well, well case, of course so it is. Sure. I, I, I have more excuses why I don't catch fish. <laughs> But probably no excuse to not get a good cigar if you come here, right? That's true. If you're going fishing and you want a good stick, this is the place to come. Tell tell people now. We're located. It's 10449 South Parker Road. Mm -hmm. And if you if you just you're on Facebook, it's Slowburn Cigars. You're on. Uh, you've got a website. Obviously, you just punch it in your GPS. It's right on Parker Road. Easy to find. We're one. We're one block. Uh, we're one block uh, north of Main Street on South Parker Road. So super easy to find. All right. Tell us about the place now. I'm going to admit I'm not a cigar aficionado, so you're going to have to walk me through sure, this. Sure. 
but I, I see I see a private lounge back here. I see an open sitting area. I see this huge walk-in humidor, and it looks, from my perspective, you've got a tremendous inventory of cigars. Tell, tell us, first of all, what inspired you to open a cigar lounge? You know, I've been, uh, I've been a cigar fan, if you will, for probably 25 years. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in South America for, for a while and uh, was able, obviously, to be exposed to some fantastic cigars down there that we still can't get here. And uh, have really just really been a, been a fan of them ever since. I, I travel a considerable amount around the U.S. and I've always enjoyed going to cigar lounges. And as much as uh, enjoying a good cigar, it's meeting the people that are there and, and, you know, watching a local game or whatever the case might be. I've been in Parker for about 12 years now um, and, uh, and, and just have, have loved the Parker area. And I, and I keep saying, you know, someone's going to open a, a cigar shop and lounge. Someone's going to open a cigar shop and lounge. And. And no one has, so... Uh, now I, you did. I was complaining about it, and my wife, Caroline, said, you know what, just shut up and do it. So, right. well, so here we are. That's a, that's a good <laughs> wife. Um, I'll tell you, and I'll tell well, real quick, we only got a minute or two, mm -hmm. but I want to tell people, um, you've got this public area, you walk in, you've got the retail area up front here, but it has places where somebody that anybody can walk in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've got a 1600 total square foot shop and lounge. Um, about uh, 900 square foot is going to be the retail area, a little public lounge, some nice leather seating, a couple of flat screen TVs, uh, over 200 square foot walk-in humidor. And then back in the back private lounge, which is a membership lounge. It's got over a thousand square feet, four big flat screens, private lockers and, um, and drawers that people can rent. So plenty of leather, comfortable seating. So Nice patio out back. People can sit and enjoy a cigar on a nice Colorado sunset. Now, in the private lounge, you can actually bring food and drink, and you have soft right. drinks. Right, we've, we've got our soft drinks and, and glasses and, and everything you need. All you really need to do is show up, and, and we've got cigars. We've got lighters, cutters. We've got everything you need. So really all you have to do is walk in the door, and we'll take care of you. And if I wanted to bring a bottle of wine to the private part, I can. You can come back in, sit down in the private lounge. If you're a member, back in the private member lounge and sit and absolutely enjoy a glass of wine and a cigar. Now, I, I got to tell you, you told me you've only been open two days. <laughs> two days. Two and days. you had a whole bunch of people in there for the World Series already. We did. Well, obviously, uh, our hours are from uh, 11 to 8, but uh, back in the private lounge, like last night, we had 12 or 13 people um, um, back there watching the World Series. And 8 o'clock came. We shut the retail shop down and, and turned the lights off and shut the door to the lounge, and everyone sat back there and finished watching the World Series. And we'll stay with you as long as you want to be here. I got a, I got a question to ask, and we got to go to a break. As an avid fly fisherman, how many fish do you think are going to be caught in that lounge? There'll be a lot of fish caught in the lounge. I can guarantee. I don't know how many of them we can prove, but there'll be a lot of fish caught back there, and I'll be, I bet there's a lot more that's going to get away back there. And a few I'll harvested. I told you, <laughs> I told you early on, I said, when you're, going to bring a, when you're going to catch a fish in that lounge, though, make sure the story has time to mature. Absolutely. The fish will, the fish will grow if you give them time. That's what I've heard, so we'll, we'll see. I bet there'll be some big ones back there. Well, we're going to talk more about the place during the course of the show. Once again, we're broadcasting live from Slowburn uh, Cigar Lounge down on Parker Road, 10449 South Parker Road, just a mile um, north of the Main Street on Parker Road. Come on by and say hi, but for sure, if you're into cigars, come and check this place out. Terry, thank you. So You bet. Lyle, thank you so much. Appreciate you. you bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Um, we are broadcasting live from Slow Burn Cigar Lounge. It's brand new. It's only been open two or three days down here in Parker Road. We're right on Parker Road, just a mile, um, mile north of Main Street at 10449 South Parker Road. And I'm looking at what I believe 
is the only large walk-in humidor in the area. So I'm not a big cigar aficionado, but if you are, it looks to me like they've got everything you need. Stop by and say hi. Stop by and see them anytime. I want to go right to the phones now. And joining us now is somebody who comes on with us. I wish he came on a lot more than once a year because he is always such an incredible resource for us. He's the small game coordinator for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Ed Gorman. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great, and, you know, the weather looks like it might cooperate, and we've got uh, upland game season coming up here real quick. Uh, you and I got a chance to talk off air a little bit. Um, there's a real mixed bag going around the country now. Places like the Dakotas, I'm hearing, it's uh, kind of bleak. The weather really got to them. They're not having a great year. Other places like maybe Kansas and Nebraska, it's better. How about Colorado? How are we coming through this year? Yeah, right now, Colorado looks... Uh really good um you know across the upland bird core range um things are things are pretty promising and uh kind of highlighted by the, the southeast part of the state um it's going to be a it's a really good quail year down there so things are looking up that's what you were telling me earlier and you know we went through a we go through a little bit of a roller coaster here we go back what is it maybe six years or so i can't remember the exact when we had just banner years in colorado ed and then we had a couple years where it got a little bleak the weather didn't cooperate and then it kind of bounced back and the last couple of years have been uh, pretty solid again um it really is uh you need holdover birds obviously you need them to mate and breed but it really comes down to how the weather affects that year's hatch, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, if you just want to talk that brief history just a bit, you know, I think most uh, listeners will probably remember 2010, 2011 were uh, fantastic pheasant years, uh, really shocking in terms of what the landscape could produce in a very short time. And then uh, late in 2011, it really dry, and that lasted for two or three years, and, and now we're kind of up on the upswing from that. Um, Got to have uh, carryover birds to uh, to nest in the spring, uh, but uh, the biggest factor is what happens uh, during that May, June, July time frame. If it's uh, wet in Colorado, we have lots of pheasants, and quail do really well. If it's dry, they really struggle, and that's kind of what some of the states to the north of us, more of the more traditional uh, uh, states that people think of when we talk about pheasant hunting, um, the Dakotas especially, that's kind of what they experienced this year was a uh, unfortunately, a terrible drought and uh, just low production and really difficult time. Uh, there's still a lot of pheasants up there, but uh, you know, comparatively speaking, um, they're they're kind of struggling a little bit, according to some yeah. of the folks I talked to up there. Yeah, I've gotten the same reports and <clears throat> that that it's a little difficult up there, and usually it's such a uh, an abundance. Uh, the the quality. I, I know we want to talk quite a bit about the quail here in a second because mm -hmm. you're really excited about what's gone on with the quail. But let's take the pheasants first. Is it across the range or is it still a little spotty? Are there areas that you, are you going to have to do a little more scouting? Yeah, it's always a little bit. You always have to do scouting. I mean, when when you're thinking about being an effective pheasant hunter, it really pays to to watch the weather and think about all the things you've uh, seen out on the landscape in the previous season and. And, and kind of you know pay attention to that May June July um, period gives you a real good indication of what's going on out there. You know I have guys that uh, call me annually and uh, they're sending me these tables of weather charts and all these things and seeing if what they're seeing in the weather chart is kind of what we're seeing on the ground and, and those things really do hold true. So you know every year the, the precipitation is never going to be the same across large areas. It's going to be different. There's going to be hailstorms, uh, those types of things. But, you know, on average, it's kind of what we look. And, uh, you know, we're looking at, I think at the worst, we're going to be the same as last year, uh, which wasn't bad uh, by any means. It was actually pretty good. 
and uh, we, we could be significantly better than that in terms of pheasants. And there will be some spots out there that are, that are kind of almost back to that 2010-11 range, uh, but, you know, those are, those are kind of isolated spots and, you know, locations within counties that, that really look that good. I know one thing um, that you really like to talk about is the quail, the quail right now because I think this started over the last couple of years. What we've seen is a rebound. And, well, the southeast in general had been pretty bleak because of the weather down there for pheasants and quail. And you tell me even the pheasants are making a significant comeback down there, but the quail are really off the charts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quail, are, quail are kind of a good, uh, good example of... Uh, um, how how habitat and precipitation uh, kind of come together to to dictate wildlife abundance um, during the drought years. Um, even the scale quail, which are kind of a desert species, really struggle. I mean, it's just it's just difficult. There's not a lot of cover on the landscape and uh, not a lot of insects for the chicks to eat. And uh, when you get to winter cover, it's poor and food sources aren't very good. And as soon as it rains um, consistently, um, they kind of erupt on the landscape. Um, in fact, you can't can't believe how fast it occurs i mean we're talking one one season one breeding season after a severe drought um, and you're going to have quail coming back pretty strong and you know what the situation is in the southeast now is we've had two seasons of uh, really excellent levels of precipitation across much of the core quail range um, both bobwhites and scalies that uh, you know we're just at that point now where there's probably more quail in the southeast than at least the last decade, um, if not further than that. And uh, last year the hunters did really well down there um, in the extreme southeast, and uh, we kind of expect the same this year. Now, I, I'm, I haven't done a lot of quail hunting. I'm going to uh, admit to my some ignorance. Um, as far as habitat for quail and pheasants, mm-hmm. do you look for different types of habitat? Is it different type river bottom, different type fields? Are they similar habitat? How do I differentiate the habitat? It can, can be different for sure. Um, scale quail have the largest range of, of, of the two quail species on the eastern plains, so you find them in uh, more rangeland type settings, um, choya cactus grasslands, uh, yucca grasslands, sand sage part, uh, those types of habitat. They'll also be found occasionally in uh, um, some real thin CRP uh, type habitat. Bobwhites, um, you almost have to think pheasants, but uh, with a twist. You kind of think pheasant habitat, but uh, less dense. Uh, both quail species really like lots of open, open, openness at the ground level, um, whether it's actually bare ground or whether it's with a canopy above um, protecting them from predators. That's really what they look for. Um, you rarely find them together. Um, occasionally, you can find scalies and bobwhites together. It doesn't happen very often, um, but I, I, I have seen occasions where both species are doing really well in the same spot, and uh, occasionally you can find a field where you can actually harvest all three um, if you throw pheasants in there. But a little bit of difference in terms of the actual habitat um, and how it looks in the landscape, but kind of what I think of is uh, they're all upland birds. Um, they all like some kind of overhead cover, and the Generally speaking, the thinner the cover, the better for quail, and uh, pheasants like it a little bit thicker. Um, so more dense CRP-type grasses, um, that's really when you look for pheasants. Find a thin field of that, particularly in the right place in the southeast part of the state, you're going to find quail. Now, the obviously, whether there's habitat or not, access to that habitat is what you need to be able to hunt upland game. And, and a lot of places, you have to pretty much pay a farmer or pace a guide to take you out through some of the great quail and pheasant areas throughout the country. But 
in Colorado, we've been able to instigate a program, and I kind of want to go through some of the things involved in it, but let's talk a little bit about the, the, the um, walk-in access program. I know we, we need to talk about the type of habitat it involves, but the program itself, what a tremendous success and a way for people to have access to hunt. Tell people a little bit about the program. Ed. Yeah, the, the walk-in program uh, we initiated back in 2001, and we were a few years late to the, to the game on this. We um, you know, followed Kansas and Nebraska and the Dakotas, and uh, we kind of come on the scene after they had established programs. But uh, in its uh, in its essence, the program uh, basically is that um, CPW, either through uh, our folks or uh, vendors that we cooperate with, um, lease private land and open it to public hunting. And that removes a huge burden from uh, hunters in terms of having to have uh, or having to go out and obtain permission prior to the season to be able to hunt some of these species. Um, program initially started out with a pheasant focus, and we've broadened that focus over the last decade to include quail and, and some waterfowl and, and certainly doves and those types of things. But the neat thing about it is uh, we, we can really target um, the, the best habitat for the best species, particularly in some areas. Um, there's where there's you know just just an abundance of opportunity to go to go get really good properties and, and maybe there are even properties that we've enhanced um, through one of our habitat programs and we put those in walk-in and it really turns into a a, a win all the way around uh, certainly for CPW it's a win and, and for the hunters that get to hunt uh, those properties that would otherwise be uh, inaccessible and the landowners benefit as well so it's it's really been one of the one of the best things we've done on the eastern plains and uh, you know we're we're still going strong. Well, and what you talked about being a win-win, and, you know, we've seen some things like a loss in CRP, and so one of the re the requirements of the the farmers to get paid to have this program is there has to be huntable and habitat that will maintain the birds. You guys started a program a year or two ago called Corners for Conservation, kind of maybe to bolster some of the CRP areas we've lost. How's that working mm -hmm. out? Sure. Corner for Conservation is a, a partnership with uh, with CPW and, and Pheasants Forever and a couple other entities that uh, we kind of collectively all looked at the, the loss of CRP that's kind of been uh, on the horizon here for a few years and, uh, you know, kind of collectively asked the question, what are we going to do? Um, you know, we're not going to be seeing the amount of CRP that we've been accustomed to. We kind of have to find a way to mitigate that. So the idea was to come up with our own program, um, similar to CRP, taking all the good stuff out of CRP and applying it to a, a partnership program uh, between the state and our and our partners in the conservation arena. And uh, really, we came up with the Corners for Conservation. So what Corners is, is we um, cooperate with a landowner to establish habitat on sprinkler corners, which are um, huge in number on the eastern plains in the core region, um, and. Our partners go establish habitat on those properties, and uh, the landowner, of course, gets a, a rental payment out of those, similar to what he would with uh, CRP or something like that. And then uh, the real carrot for the for the hunting end of things is that every one of those corners are in walk-in access. So it's it's kind of a you know win-win again. Um, I hate to go back to that, but it's been an excellent program. We've put uh, 202 corners in in the last two years. Every one of those shows up in the walk-in atlas. I was just looking at my copy this morning. Uh, they're not identified as corners for conservation products, but uh, or projects. But person that has a couple years atlas will notice all the new sprinkler corners out in Sedgwick and Phillips and Yuma counties. Um, those things are are, are are direct results of our attempt to kind of mitigate the loss of CRP and provide excellent opportunity for hunters.
Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's a tremendous program. By the way, I'm just going to make one mention. The new farm bill is being discussed in Congress, and we won't get into that today. But if folks are interested in CRP and conservation and maintaining habitat for our upland birds, you may want to contact like Pheasants Forever and get their take on the farm bill because I know that uh, Bob Hicks was on and they are lobbying heavily out there to get additional CRP added back into that farm bill. So we'll see how that goes. Now the last thing on the walk-in access, Ed, how do we take advantage of it? Now years ago it was actually you had to buy a permit, but that's not the case anymore. And how do I get information and how do I take advantage of Correct. it? Correct. There are several ways. Um, first of all, no permit necessary. Um, we did that for a while. Um, we decided to go away from the permit just so we could uh, encourage more and more folks to try the program and uh, try their hand at upland hunting. So easy way to find out the information. Um, the Atlases are, are out in license agents now, or they will be uh, within the next day or so. Um, you're going to want to pick up a copy of the 2017 regular walking atlas and the 2017 late cropland supplemental atlas. Um, those two documents will have every property involved um, in the program. If you're um, more tech savvy, um, you go right to our website, you go to small game hunting, uh, click on the walk-in link, and you can go over to the that page and you can actually download the files right onto your smartphone or mobile device and you can have the uh, electronic version of those maps um, it's, it's really actually a neat feature uh, that we've that our, that our folks have, have worked on and uh, perfected but there's plenty of opportunity um, go to our website look in the brochures and uh, you know, just uh, give it a try um, every property out in the field is signed with walk-in access boundary signs which you'll see a picture of those in the, in the brochure and really a good way to get started and then as you kind of decide whether you really want to do this or not it kind of opens up avenues to you to, to find other access you're out in the landscape you're, you're hunting on these properties you go into one of the small communities to eat lunch or to gas up and maybe you run into a landowner that has some private land um, those those types of interactions i hear about them every year where people use use walk-in and, and enjoy hunting it and then they find a piece to hunt on private um, and and they you know further further expand their opportunities so yeah, and I, and I, I lied to you because I said last question, but okay. I'm going to bring up one more point. You and I have had this discussion off the air for years, and I don't know if we've ever done it on the air, and that's that you know, we're coming up on the opening of the season, and there's always a pent-up demand. Everybody wants to get out, but the best upland game hunting isn't always the opening of the season. There's a lot of things like the state of the crops and the weather, the crunchiness of the ground that really come into play, isn't there? Certainly, certainly. Um, that's kind of an important point. I'm glad you brought that up. If you can't make opening weekend, um, that, that's not the end of the season. Uh, the season runs, uh, particularly for pheasants, um, across the eastern plains all the way to the end of January. Um, quail season has a little bit of a different closing in the northeast versus the southeast, so you want to pay attention to the regulations. But uh, there's a ton of opportunity after opening weekend. Um, you know, I've seen, I've been doing this for you know close to 20 years now, and I've certainly seen the year that uh, yeah, you wanted to be there opening weekend because bird numbers were low and and all the corn was picked, um, you know, then you probably want to be there. But in most years, um, you know, probably the better hunting, actually, more accessible birds and, and crops out of the field and those kind of things, that probably occurs maybe even into early December, really. Um, so, you know, every year is a little bit different. Um, right now we're, we're kind of just seeing the, the corn harvest really get going, uh, particularly in the northeast uh, core pheasant range. So it's going to be probably a little bit slow this year. Um, with you know the moisture and all those types of things kind of slowing things down so 
uh, don't hesitate to come out later. There, there can be great opportunity, and oftentimes the weather actually swings in your favor a little bit as it gets later. Well, you're absolutely right. Those birds will bunch up, and they'll, you'll, you'll, you may have to do a little more hunting, but when you find them, you'll find bunches a lot of times. Yep, correct. Yep. Ed, that's a, just we're out of time, but what a wealth of information as always. Thank you for joining me. It's just a, one of my favorite times of the year when you come on because you just really bring us up to speed on everything going on in the Upland game, and hopefully you'll get out and have a good season of your own. Thank you very much, Terry. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. That's Ed, Gor- Ed Gorman, small game coordinator for CPW. And just, folks, and we're, we'll podcast this. In fact, um, I'm probably going to write about it in the Denver Post and Put it on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, because this is just a ton of great information that you need to take advantage of. We are broadcasting live from the Slowburn Cigar Lounge in Parker. It's only been open two or three days. We're going to be here all morning. Special hours. Stop by. If you're a cigar aficionado, you need to come and take a look at the size of this humidor and both the public and private areas for smoking. It's just We'll tell you more about that later. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked salmon, the secret is in the fire. Oh, yeah. Sure, an Eagles song. I got so much I want to talk about, now I got to listen to the Eagles, because you know I'm going to listen to a few guitar licks. Number one band in America, all time. We'll have that debate about how they fit in against the Beatles some other time. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by uh, Sun... Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. I am broadcasting live today from the Slowburn Cigar Lounge in Parker. And Parker never had a cigar lounge before. And the owner wanted one, wanted one. And finally, his wife said, you just got to build one. And here he is, and here we are. And I'm looking at what probably is the only walk-in humidor in this part of the town or country or whatever. It's huge. The inventory is unbelievable. They have a um, a private and a public area to smoke, and the private area is a membership. Where you, and uh, if you come in and sign up today, you get 10% off your membership. So anyway, we're here, and I'll be here broadcasting. Come on by and say hi. We're at... Uh, we're at, we're at 1090, uh, 10449 South Parker Road, just a uh, block or so north of Main Street. But let's go right to the phones now. And joining us from Chatfield Reservoirs, which I consider one of the premier fisheries in Colorado. This reservoir over the years has blossomed and the way it's been managed and the access there, it's just been phenomenal. And joining us is uh, Jesse Green. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I mean, you know, we had a little cold weather yesterday. We may have a spat coming up, but we have lots of great, great um, weather coming up. There's going to be lots of fishing opportunities. Um, we're going to talk about the park in general. Let's tell, we'll tell people, there's always people new. Where's Chatfield located? And just describe the park a little bit. So the great thing about Chatfield is we're right here on the southwestern corner of the metro area, just right off C-470 in Wadsworth. Uh, we got two different entrances into the park. You can either come in off of the Wadsworth entrance, come in through our Deer Creek on the west end of the park, or if you're coming from like Highlands Ranch or the east side of the metro area, you can come in on uh, off the Titan Road entrance and come in over by the marina and the south ramp area there off of Roxborough Park Road. Now, of course, you've got trails, you've got the, the lake itself, which has all the amenities. We'll talk about that. But you have camping there, too. And, you know... When you pull in to pull those, some of those campsites, you don't feel like you're on the edge of the metro area because you can see the mountains. You've got the wetlands out behind you. You really do feel like you're out a little bit, and it's just a great campground. 
Yeah, it really is. That's actually one of my favorite parts about working the mornings out here is just driving through the campground as the sun comes up and I get that picturesque look of the uh, foothills just over here to the west of us. And, you know, we got so much good foliage and the trees over here. You really don't see any of the city at all from the park itself. So you really feel like you're out in the woods a little bit, even being so close to town. And the campgrounds are open year-round, I believe? Yes, we have two loops that are open year-round, D-loop and C-loop, and we have one full shower house that stays open all year-round as well. Okay, now the first question I get from listeners this time of the year, because we have a lot of guys that want to take advantage of these fall bites that are starting to take off and the changing conditions. Number one is, how, how long are your boat ramps going to be open and what are the water levels? Right, so our south ramp is closing here. Just uh, Halloween's going to be the last day every year. The south ramp closes uh, at the end of October. So that's coming up here in just a few days. All the boats are coming out of the marina. But our north ramp stays open until we close the lake to boating. Um, that'll be at the end of November. So every year once it hits December 1st or if ice comes soon, which usually doesn't happen, uh, that's when we close the boating. So here in a couple of days, all boats should start heading up to that north ramp. Well, and I'll tell you, um, the reason I brought up the fall fishing, and I know you want to talk about doing it from a kayak, and we'll get to that in a minute. But one of the reasons I brought up the fall fishing was that we go through, in the spring you get these cold spells, and they really put the fish off. In the fall, it almost turns them on. The bait, you've got tremendous shad population at Chatfield. They get stressed. And as they get stressed, the walleyes and the bass start taking advantage of them more. They group up, and if you can find them and use the right techniques, it can be another time of the year, not only catch numbers, but big fish. But it can be spotty. It can be off and on. But also a thing that happens in a lot of these front range lakes is the water cools. There's huge rainbow trout in Chatfield, plus it gets an abundant stocking during the cooler months. I would imagine you're seeing the trout really start to show up, both from shore and a boat. We really are. I've been talking to a lot of shore fishermen over the last week or so, and people have really started catching a lot that aren't the uh, typical 10 to 12-inch stalker size that everybody uh, usually attributes you know, coming in here with a kid trying to get a fish on the end of their pole. But I've been seeing a lot of 15 to 18-inch rainbow trout coming off the uh, swim beach shoreline recently. Uh, and you'll see that you know, up and down the Front Range. The Front Range lakes, because as the water warms, those trout tend to get a little less accessible, especially from shore, and they don't get targeted as much by the boat anglers. But I see it up and down the Front Range, up and down the different lakes, and Chatfield's no exception that those trout, and I, I, I can tell you having ice fish Chatfield quite a bit, and we'll talk about that later, that there's some very, very large trout in Chatfield Reservoir, in addition to it being well-stocked, so the action could be good, and it's a great time of the year to fish from shore now. Now, the other species sometimes takes a little more knowledgeable anglers we get into this fall because they move to different areas, and you have to use different techniques. What are you hearing about the, the bass and the walleyes? You know, the bass and the walleye from the shore, at least, I'm not hearing a whole lot on. It sounds like they're moving into deeper water, more in the main lake area. Um, so they're being a little harder to access from the shore. I've heard some from the boat fishermen that they're able to get into them. Um, seem to be having a little bit more luck uh, near that river channel in the main lake, kind of near those drop-offs, as well as those uh, old gravel ponds that are underneath the main lake as well. Um, it seems like those that are catching them uh, have been trolling a little bit. Um, the one guy I talked to, the gentleman, said he was trolling with uh, like a daredevil spoon um, that he had sunk down uh, 10 to 15 feet, and that's, he had a decent 
what was it, about 19, 20-inch walleye when I talked to him the other day. And that trolling bite will actually probably even get slower as we go. But if you can locate this fish and use a blade bait or a jigging spoon or a jigging uh, a glide bait like a jigging wrapper or a Johnny Darter, you're going to see the guys in the nose catch them right up till ice. So there's going to be good fishing there. We'll talk more about that later in the show. I think there's something that we want to bring up that everybody knows that Karen and I have kayaks, and we kayak fish all over the world. I think it's an incredible way to fish. You're seeing more kayaks and paddle boards at Chatfield. We are on all the lakes, and you kind of wanted to help some of those out because there's some better access areas and some better areas to get on the lake and fish with kayaks, aren't there? There really are, and that's it's something myself. I have a kayak, and I really got into it the past three years. Um, it's great working here because I can store my kayak here, so once I'm done with my shift, I can just drag it down to the lake edge. Um, but, you know, the main lake I've seen this summer, and it's not just kayaks. There's those people fishing off of paddle boards now, and anytime people think Chatfield and paddle boards, their mind goes straight to our main gravel pond that's just on the very south side that's got the parking lot. And, you know, on the weekends, that just gets swamped. We have paddleboard vendors, and there's a lot of people that use that as a recreational area. And I know I've seen some people try and take their paddleboards and kayaks out onto the main lake um, to try and get away from some of that pressure from all the recreators uh, for fishing opportunities. And, you know, the main lake on a kayak and a paddleboard may not be the best bet just because all the power boating that we have out here um, but a lot of people don't realize is the uh, South Wakeless area near the inlet of the South Platte at Chatfield. Um, there's a lot of the gravel ponds that I spoke of earlier that are underneath the main lake that offer a lot of opportunities for fishing. And they're really great to access from a kayak. And we've got a couple different put-in points um, to shore launch with kayaks in our Catfish Flat um, and Fox Run parking areas on the west side of the park down past the swim beach. Um, I really like those that it's kind of hard to see from the parking lot because there's a little bit of a hill between the parking lot and the lake itself. But once you walk over that short hill, the water line is usually right there. So it's really a short trip to get your kayak in the water. And once you're out there, you know, if you're in a power boat, by the time you launch at the north or the south ramp and you hit that wakeless line that's right by the swim beach, it's going to take you a solid 10 to 15 minutes to get really all the way back in towards where that Fox Run parking lot is because you're going to have to be at that wakeless speed. So if you're able to put in with a kayak and paddle straight out there, you're saving everyone some time, and you're going to get into some good fishing right away. Now, just so people know, kayak access does end when the boat ramps close, too. It's to all boats except, except uh, float tubes at that point. Is that right? That is correct. So once boating closes on December 1st, that means that includes all paddle craft. The only thing that is accepted from that is um, what we consider fishing aids as an agency, and that would be like your inflatable uh, waders, like you were saying, your belly boats, your float tubes, um, things like that are still allowed since they're considered fishing aids by the agency. But I'll tell you what, kayaking is such a great way to get out and fish, especially when you have that big wakeless area on Chatfield. And those gravel ponds, pits you mentioned, that are underneath the main lake are tremendous fishing opportunities year-round for a multitude of species. And it's just a great way to experience, especially when you get out of the wake. We have a minute or two left. I really want to touch on one thing, though. Jack, Chatfield's doing a reallocation program. Tell people real quick what that is and how it might affect things this winter. 
They are. So may, people may have heard in the news that they're going to be raising the water level out here at Chatfield Reservoir. That's not going to happen for a couple of years. Before they do that, they got to change all our shoreline amenities, including our ramps and the marina and things like that. Um, so this year, they're really going to start breaking ground on the west side, and that is going to affect some fishing access for folks, especially ice fishermen, unfortunately. Um, so this year, the north boat ramp, once we close down there on December 1st, that whole complex and parking area is really going to get shut down, and the construction crews are going to tear everything up and start regrading and re-leveling. So I know in years past, everybody loves that pocket of that north ramp little bay area because it holds ice really long, and there's some great fishing opportunities in there. And unfortunately, this year, um, you're really not going to have access to get there because that whole area is going to be shut down to parking. Um, they're also going to be doing a lot of work in the Massey Draw area, as well as Eagle Cove, and they're going to try and start on the swim beach as well. Um, but if anybody wants some more information on that, they've got a great website they put up. Um, it's called chatfieldreallocation.org, and there's a great map and a timeline calendar on there that'll show you everything you need. Um, and we have a link to it on Chatfield's webpage if you guys would like to know more on that. And it's going to be a definite change to the park, and we're all going to be working together to try and keep access up and try and keep everyone happy while this is going on out here. All right, Jesse, we are out of time, but tons of great information. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. Have a great day. That's Jesse Green from Chatfield State Park. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors <clears throat> is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. Um, they are the largest ATV and motorcycle dealer in Colorado. We are broadcasting live from Slow Burn uh, Cigars down here in Parker, and we'll be here for at least another hour or more. Come and join us on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We are broadcasting live from the Slow Burn, and that's spelled S-L-O for slow, and then Burn Cigar Lounge in Parker. We're going to tell you a lot more about this place in just a minute, but it is unbelievable. The inventory, they have a private member's lounge to enjoy cigars. You get a locker. They also have public area for enjoying your cigar and the huge selection. And these guys just opened it a few days ago out of a love for cigars. And so far, great people. Hey, they listen to the show. They got to be good people, right? They, they know all about Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I think they're three of my four fans are here. So we've we got them all here. Anyway, let's go right to the phones. And joining me, one of my favorite people that I've got, uh, you know, a Mark Kite from Sun Enterprises. Mark, I was just thinking about ice fishing and and um, some of the things we did out in Granby with Bernie when we had that cold weather yesterday. Yeah, lots of good fishing up there for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's getting about time, ain't it? Uh, how much longer, Taryn, we'll be up there doing some fishing? Well, the, up there it'll take till almost the holidays, but we're only about a month away from some other places. I'll talk to you more because the ATVs really are great for ice fishing, and there's a number of places in Colorado. But right now, before we even do that, you guys are busy today out at Sun, Mark. Yeah, we got all kinds of good stuff going on today. We've got, uh, geez, on the import side, uh, we've got a big yellow tag Can-Am clearance today. So we're, we're uh, selling our newest line, which is the Can-Am product, and we're really happy about that. So we've got a big sale on the Can-Am stuff, and then uh, lots of good stuff going on, on the Harley side, too. 
And don't you have some activities, like do you have trick-or-treat for the kids or something? We do, Ter. So we're trick-or-treating for the kids all over the dealership today at all the, in all of our different departments. Um, we've got a just a huge chili cook-off going. We've got uh, about 25 entrants there. We're giving away a, a cash prize for that number one chili today. So that's exciting. And then, um, you know, with the Vegas tragedies and some stuff going on, we have Bell Bond fees come in today, and we're doing a blood drive today. So, you know, that's exciting, and uh, we've got a, just a great turnout for that as well. So, yeah, lots and lots of cool stuff going on here today at the dealership. Well, you know, you guys are always so community-involved, Mark. You you guys have been off there. It's like 88th in Washington, I guess, is the address, but it's really Pearl and 88th, but you've got that huge campus and but you've always done street events to get the people involved in the community. You always have fundraisers going on there now, the blood drive. I think the trick or treat thing too, you know, parents are looking for safe places that their kids can put on their costume and go get candy while they can put on their costume, come down and while mom and dad browse through the the ATVs and motorcycles, the kids can run around, get a little candy. What a great way to, you know, give them a Halloween treat if you don't really want them out on the street, you know, just fantastic. But, and then with the deals you've got going on, this is typically a time that you can make a really good deal on any motorcycle or ATV, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is the time of the year where, you know, typically it slows down for us just a little tiny bit, which that's kind of funny a little bit. We don't slow down very much. But, you know, it does slow down just a little bit. It's also the time, you know, when the OEMs come to the table with, with, war, uh, with, with you know, extended warranty type stuff. Also, you know, pretty good rebates for customers. So, yeah, it's, it is a really, really good time. We have um, we have one other thing, too, Terry, that I, I've got to mention to you. This is so cool. It's just unreal. We have... Uh, one of our very, very good clients here has got one of the Trask Turbo uh, Custom Assault Harley-Davidson's here, and it's on display over on the Harley side, too. And, you know, there's not too much that gets me, ex- you know, over-the-top excited in the motorcycle world only because I'm here every day and I see it all day. But this thing is really something to see. So, you know, if you're out and about, come by, check it out. Uh, it's on the Harley side as well, that Assault uh, Harley-Davidson uh, by Trask, which is really cool. All right, let's talk a minute or two before we run out of time about ice fishing, though. It's going to be starting probably in about a month up at the high country and Colorado, and then maybe within December sometime we'll see it up at Granby and those places. Colorado is very fortunate. One of the things I've always preached in ice fishing is mobility. You You don't go to one spot and cast to the same spot all day and hope to catch fish. And too many ice fishermen do that. So you've got to be able to get out and move around. And with our GPS and things we have today, you can see the terrain under the lake bottom. And an ATV really gives you access. Uh, one thing people could do is they go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and there's a show where you and I and Ron and, and Bernie went out, and we actually demonstrated using the ATVs to pull the shelters, get over the fish set up, and how easy it was. Uh, it just gives you so much mobility, especially on a lake like that. But the ATVs today, you guys can set them up to make them a really ice fishing machine, can't you? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, with the track setups and, you know, we sell the track systems here for both ATV and side-by-side. And it's funny, you know, it's such a great point, Terry, you know, fishing with all the U pros, Terry Wickstrom, Bernie Keefe, uh, Nate Zielinski, you know, I, I've had um, just an awesome opportunity to fish with some some of the best, you know, here in Colorado. And it's funny, every successful fish, you're absolutely right. Nobody ever parks me in a spot and says, okay, good luck to you. You know, if it's not happening, they move us, and they're, they're, they're very good about knowing that, you know, we need to move over here and move over there. And so mobility is so important with that, that you know, ice fishing. It's not, you know, there's no question about it. Well, and I, I, I keep thinking about the heated handlebars. 
Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, you know, as far as the accessories go, no question about it. You know, track setups, and, you know, we, you can take an ATV and six feet of snow with tracks on it, no problem at all. Um, you know, the heated hand grips, heated thumb warmer even. Um, you know, it's just amazing, all, all of the different options. You know, we have, um, you know, auger, um, you know, ways to, to put augers on and auger compartments, um, you know, by Colpin. We just, there's just, just so many things that really makes that rig, you know, successful for ice fishing. Well, we're out of time, Mark, but if people want to get their kids out trick-or-treating or want to give blood for all the tragedies we had or taste some great chili and a cook-off or, or whatever, you got sales going on, everything, tell them how they find Sun. Yeah, absolutely. So we're in Thornton, uh, I-25 to the 88th, um, or 84th, excuse me, 84th Avenue exit. Go east two blocks to Pearl Street, and then just come up Pearl. We're about 89th and Pearl. Big, big place. Can't miss it. All right, Mark. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Terry. You bet, Mark Kite. Great people, great place. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter.